You're listening to Drisha Vechakira, the Drisha Chavruta podcast. Welcome to our Beit Midrash. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Drisha Chavruta podcast. I'm here once again with my Chavrutas. Sam Liebens, Sri Blanchard. Great to be learning with you again today. Nice to be here. Very nice to be here. So um, we thought that today we'd continue with the very uh, rich text that we were looking at last time about the Talmud Yerushalmi um, teaching the following law. It says that if um, a group uh, of people are traveling along and non-Jews meet up with them and say, hand over one of you and we'll kill him, and if you refuse to do so, we'll kill all of you, the uh, teaching in the Yerushalmi says, even if all of them are to be killed, they may not hand over a single uh, Jewish life. And the text continues, if on the other hand the non-Jews specified a particular person to be handed over, like Sheva ben Bichwi, they should hand him over and they should not be killed. Now a complication emerges in this text, which we didn't focus on last time, um, which is that the text specifies, um, doesn't just say, but if they specify a person um, you should hand him over rather than get killed. It's the, the text specifically says if they specify a person like Sheva ben Bichwi. And the question is, what is the significance of that particular example like Sheva ben Bichwi? And in fact, there's a Talmudic dispute about the significance of that example. So just a, a word of background, Sheva ben Bichwi, um, as I mentioned last time, is a character in um, the book of Shmuel, um, Samuel to Samuel, uh, where there is a rebellion against King David, and Sheva ben Bichwi uh, is a leader of the rebellion, and he um, runs away to a certain town, and Yoav, uh, David's general, uh, comes to the town, and he threatens to destroy the town, um, and has a conversation uh, with a woman in the town who basically says to him, hold on, you don't have to destroy the whole town, uh, we will give you Sheva ben Bichwi, and in fact in that situation, um, the townspeople actually uh, kill Sheva ben Bichwi, and the woman tosses his head um, over the wall um, to the satisfaction of Yoav. Um, so in that particular case, um, you have both the specification of the person, right? Yoav is clearly after Sheva ben Bichwi, and you also have a particular situation, Sheva ben Bichwi is a person who is rebelling against the king. That leads to a dispute between two sages, uh, Reish Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, um, two different understandings of what the significance of mentioning Sheva ben Bichwi is. Um, Just to clarify, this is, this is straight after the Brighter and the Yushami. The first thing that happens afterwards is this, this dispute. It, it, exactly. So the teaching of the Yushami ends with, right, after saying you can't hand somebody over, it says, but if the people demand a specific person like Sheva ben Bichwi, then you should hand the person over rather than get killed. And then it says, Amar Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish, Reish Lakish says, you can only hand the person over if the person is chayav mita, is culpable of uh, the death penalty, like Sheva ben Bichri was. Now, this he understands the case of Sheva ben Bichri as focusing on the fact that this person had in fact uh, rebelled against the king and therefore was uh, worthy of being killed. And Rabbi Yochanan, on the other hand, says, Rabbi Yochanan, Amar, no chayav mita ben bichri. Rabbi Yochanan says, no, you can hand over the person rather than have everyone get killed, even if the person is not chayav mita, even if the person is not deserving of death. Rabbi Yochanan understands 
the law, the specification of Shemrichi, as simply being an example of somebody who was designated right, by the threatening party. Right? If you designate the person like Shemr ben Bichri. So this is a, 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 very, uh, a very critical dispute. Right? What enables you to decide to hand over this person rather than have everybody be killed? Right? Is it as long as they designate who that person is, as opposed to just saying hand over somebody? If they designate, you can hand the person over? Or no, is that not sufficient? Right? Is it the case um, that the only uh, is the only case in which you can hand the person over a case in which that person was in fact at least on some level right um, worthy of being killed right that is the dispute um, that is the dispute in uh, in the Talmud so um, so I thought we'd start out by by uh, talking uh, a bit about that and then trying to play out some of the issues um, that are raised here and 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 in particular getting back to the core idea, which is that um, if the person is not specified, or according to uh, Rachel Akish, uh, even if the person is specified but is not um, worthy of death, that you can't hand over the person even though not handing him over means that everybody will be killed, including that person himself. So, thoughts about this text? So I have I, I have a number of, of, of thoughts that uh, plague me uh, when confronted with this text. Um, so I, I I have two, and maybe the first one isn't really worth focusing on. So I'll raise it, and maybe we'll just pass over it. But um, the implicit comparison between these marauding non-Jews, probably in, in this time uh, Romans who who are persecuting the Jews terribly, they're comparing Yoav. <laughs> to that, to that, um, um, tacitly, there's a comparison between Yoav and the non-Jews. If the non-Jews come and they want to kill you all, I- unless you give them a certain person, then you sh- should give them that certain person, just like they did with Sheva ben Bichri to who? To Yoav. Anyway, that worries me. It's interesting to me. The the thing that really plagues me is what does it mean, Chayiv Mita? Uh, um, so so I I can go. I could go very formal, I could give you a very formal account of what it means, or I could give you such an informal account of what it means that the two positions, Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish and Rabbi Yochanan, collapse into one another. So on the formal extreme, ah, your high of meter, if a Jewish court of law has found you guilty of a capital offence and has passed the death penalty over you, this very rarely happens. I mean, you, you, very few courts have the authority to do that. The evidential burden is tremendously high. Two witnesses need to have seen the act and need to have warned you and need to have told you that if you do this, we're going to testify. So how often does that happen? Or we could be less formal and say, no, they've done a crime that's, that would be, all things being equal, equal a capital offence. For instance, they violated the Sabbath. Okay, they didn't have... They didn't have the evidential burden met. Uh, uh, they weren't actually prosecuted. But that's what we mean, hive meter. But on, if you go really informal, oh, they're just kind of worthy of dying. Well, maybe you'd say, well, the fact that the Romans are going to kill this guy, unless we hand him over, and um, and if we don't hand him over, everyone else is going to die. We could we could kind of squeeze out a sense in which, well, he's already hive meter. He's he's culpable of death in some. And then the two positions collapse into one another. So I don't know. I just don't know what this. What does this mean? Well, the the question of what specifically chayav mita here means is 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 a you know a, 
long discussion in the commentaries on, on this Talmudic passage, I would say it's quite clear that it doesn't mean the first thing you said, because yeah. that doesn't fit Yoav, right? Nobody had brought Yoav in front of the court of law and yeah. convicted him. And also him. it would never but happen. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it would find him out, but it certainly doesn't, doesn't fit the case. I'd say the, the, the range, um, the, the, the more standard range of possibilities within the commentaries would be, um, on the one hand, a chayav mita in the sense that the person did something which were he tried in a Beit Din, in a Jewish court, he would be mm. found mm. guilty, not because of all the evidence necessarily, but no, that he did something which would be culpable of the death penalty, at least at least in principle, uh, in, in, in a Jewish court, and in this case, uh, using the Sheva Ben Bichri example, um, the notion uh, that many commentators say, since he was moreid b'malchut, right, since mm. he uh, rebelled uh, against David kingship, that itself is a capital uh, is a capital offense, right? But um, most people have done. Most well people have done this. Well one se- hold on a second. Well, well, one second. Or alternatively, right? Alternatively, um, the 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 other side of that spectrum is the notion that um, not necessarily that in our law, yes. um, the person the person has done something that under our law is a capital offense. But if he is being sought by authorities against whom he has done something which they see as a capital offense, yes. right, that that would be sufficient. Sam, in, in terms of what you just said, but everybody's done something. Yeah. Well, love Dafka. In other words, I think the question is not, you know, were you ever, did you ever violate Shabbat? I think the question is, are you being sought because of that? Okay. Right? I believe that. So, that's so, so, so let me just a- add one, one thing to this, which I think... Oh, I see. Are you being sought because of your... Like like in the case of Sheva Ben Bishri. Exactly. They specify what it is that and they want you for, and it's something that Good. their yeah, law now, now that, taking that, that latter position, Right, um, that even if he's even if he's sought for something which under our law would not be a capital offense, but under the other law is a capital offense. I think there's there's at least two different ways uh, you could you could understand the rationale for that. Right, one is that we're dealing here with um, authorities, and these authorities, you know, it it it, it sort of no longer becomes um, you know a random request. It's neither random in the sense that they didn't specify the person, but it's also not random in the sense that they're just trying to make trouble, that they're just trying to bully people, that they're just trying to be horrific, right? But these are people, like these are authorities who are attempting, in, within their own context, who are attempting to apply their law. The alternative to that um, is something that that um, is probably said by a number of people, but I'll read it here from from the Taz, one of the commentators on the on the Shulchan Aruch, and he sees this in a very particular way, which I think which I think is very relevant to the case of Sheva ben Bichri, which after all is the example that's given here. Um, let's think about Sheva ben Bichri for a second. Um, here I am sitting in my little town, and somebody decides to wage war. Uh, to rebel against the government. Um, he gets himself in trouble. And guess what? He decides to come to my town. Well, here, here we are in, my, in town now. Let's say it's V, Sam. You're a resident of my town, and, and I'm here as well. And Yoav hasn't yet appeared. Imagine us talking about this. And I say, Sam, see, did you hear what happened? The Sheva ben Bichri, he's rebelling against David, and he, he, he's, he, he holds up next door to me. In you know the inn down the road, he's staying there. What would you say? I mean, the truth is, if I were a loyal subject of King David, I would say let's tie him up and turn him over. <laughs> yes, and even <laughs> if you weren't a loyal subject of King David, you might say, 
What? What did he do to my town? Get him out of here, right. He's making trouble. And this is actually, in fact, what the Taz says. The Taz suggests that if the person has done something, and he says it's not even if he's done something that's, you know, a capital offense. He said even if it's a, um, a person who makes counterfeit money, right? Um, something which um, a person has done which is really unacceptable within uh, the social order in which they live and has then come to my town in fact he's endangering my town in other words the Taz invokes the notion um, that he is like a rodef, right? And he's like a pursuer. He's endangering me. Who says Shevin ben Bichli gets to make trouble to get himself in trouble and then to come to my town? Just right. explain what a rodef is. Oh, 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 thank you, Sam. A rodef, a pursuer. In other words, a person who puts somebody else in danger. Technically, a rodef means, right, I run after you, Sam, with a loaded gun, and I say, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to shoot you, I'm going to shoot you. Svi here, right, is allowed to, maybe even expected, to take me out, right, to save you. So and the Tom says, this person is a pursuer. One more world is Sheva ben somebody like him, making trouble, getting himself in trouble, and then getting us all in trouble through coming to my town. So it um, seems to me there's an important clarification that, that has to be made and that I think the Taz is gesticulating towards. So so one understanding of Hive Meter, as you've suggested, Tavara, is that you're you're culpable of a cat you you've committed a cat you're being sought for having committed a capital crime according to some non-Jewish law code. You're being sought by these pursuers for having committed a capital crime according to the, their law code. My my concern and I think the Taz is trying to respond to this mm -hmm. perhaps. My concern is that collapses the debate between Rabbi Shimon ben Lakish and uh, Rabbi Yochanan. Because Rabbi Yochanan says, no, he doesn't have to be high meter. He just has to be sought by the authorities. But if the case is the authorities are trying to catch him to kill him, then presumably he is Chayv Mita, at least in their eyes, because right. they're trying to kill him. That's what they say. But I think the Taz might be seen as responding to that, because he's saying, yeah, but it's not just on a whim. He, he gives you an example of counterfeiting money. So it's not merely that the non-Jews want to kill you. It's they want to kill you because you broke a law. And maybe not even merely just a law, but a law that's kind of... Endangers the, endangers the yeah, community. Yeah, you, you kind of act recklessly in this situation by breaking this law. You know, you knew that it was a capital offence. You knew that doing it would bring the wrath of the law down on you. You didn't have to do it, you, and yet you did it. That's the type of the thing, thing the Taz is saying. I think. Now again, the Taz is just is just one position. Mm -hmm. One one could argue that even without characterising this person as a pursuer. Right? He, you know, he's trying. The Taz is trying to justify. Okay, so he did something terrible. What allows you to hand him over? Right. And so he's he's going to the notion of pursuer in order to enable you to do that. But other commentaries, without invoking the notion of pursuer, say no. As long as um, they, according to their lights, right, not random lights, but real lights, right, they have laws too. Right. If they, that group, according to their, you know, reasonable set of rules. Right, consider this person liable. That's enough to say that you have a right to to, to hand him over. I, I I see the two positions here as being fundamentally different from each other, and and and, and I'll and I'll tell you how so. Before you get to to uh, Rabbi Yochan uh, and Rachel Lakish, and even uh, before you get to the um, the case of Sheva Ben Bichri, when we first read the law, the law that says you can't hand somebody over. The case is the following. Somebody comes along to a group of people and says, hand one of you over and we're going to kill all of you. 
And the text says quite clearly in that situation, even if they're all going to get killed, including that person, you can't hand that person over. Now, there's more than one way of understanding why you can't do it. One might be because, actually, you're simply not allowed to hand somebody over. But the other could be not so much because you're not allowed to hand somebody over, but because it's not for you to choose who gets handed over. And so when um, Rabbi Yochanan says that um, if they specify somebody, you can hand them over even if the person is not Chayav Mita, I think what he's saying is if, if they specify somebody, even if they have no reason whatsoever, they look at the group and they say, Svi, that guy over there, I don't like your, I don't like the look on your face. And he wasn't doing anything. That's just his face, right? I don't like, I don't like oh. the sweater. You. <laughs> you love okay? face, Svi. Thank you. you. <laughs> Thank you or maybe you hiccuped, or maybe uh-huh. who uh-huh. knows, right? That even that, that the fact that you don't have to choose the person, mm-hmm. or maybe beyond that, once they designate him, in some way they've taken some piece of the responsibility out of mm. or something. Right? We would have to. Mm. There's many ways we can understand that. We might want to flesh that out. But I see that as fundamentally different and not collapsible with um, Rish Lakish's position, which is that only if in some way you can be understood to be culpable, either because you endanger us, like mm-hmm. Taz says, or because you've done something that 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 justifies them wanting you, mm-hmm. right? To me, those are fundamentally different positions you've that are not collapsing. You've helped me with my initial concern because um, we can say, you know, Rachel Lakish thinks that this the comparison of the Brisa to Shivapan Bechri, um, it, it's really not arbitrary at all. It's very uh, important that this was the analogy picked, and and Yoav is a general from the good side in this in this particular battle. So we could learn from that. You know, if they're making unreasonable requests, then it's not like this situation. The, the, the request needs to be sufficiently reasonable. And and yes, I I I I, I think that that Shima, uh, Rabbi Yochanan can be well read as saying, no, the example's not as important as this word yichadu that they that they specified. It's the fact that there was a specification made. doesn't matter who makes the specification. The idea is you shouldn't be the one to decide who dies. But if somebody has already decided, then, <laughs> you know. Yes, yeah, so that's a useful that's a useful way of summarising the debate. Thank you. Well, I mean, I, I agree that when they say this particular person, um, that that is a fun, at least according to one view, that itself is sufficient. Um, I'm not as convinced as you are that they had in mind that they didn't like somebody's face. Um, I think it, I think it. I just meant as opposed to high of me to buy any. What seems to me at stake is: Do you have to think? Well, this person actually, whether or not they'd actually be found guilty by a Jewish court, is not important enough to say. I think to myself. This is a death level offense. I, I would myself go more in that direction. This is this is a death level offense. It's very likely that they in fact did this and that they probably do deserve to die. And I don't know if we want to we want to die defending them. They really are criminal. Versus the the radical idea that I have no idea whether they really did this or not. Mm. I don't know whether or not they deserve to die one way or the other. But they've asked for a particular person, and do I feel they have the authority to demand that person from me? Um, well, what if I believe they absolutely don't have that authority? See, I, I, I would say that the position articulated here uh, by Rabbi Yochanan is 
that even if the person is not chayav mita, and I know they're not chayav mita, and I deny their authority to demand that, that nevertheless the very fact that they specify that mm. removes the prohibition. And the question is why? I mean, that's what I think the you're right about. <laughs> why is it that by specifying this person, okay, mm-hmm. I, I admit this, my, my view, this person is not, Ruben's view is, this person has not done anything which I personally think they deserve to die for, and they've come and asked for him anyway. So and on what basis do I hand him over just because they've mentioned his name? He, let's say he did, maybe he did do something wrong, but nothing like a death. Well, kind let's of say thing. he did nothing wrong. So it could be. I mean, I, I don't know how comfortable I would be to to say this is the the right reading, but it's a possible reading. Is that Yochanan thinks that the very fact that a name has been given transforms that person into a rodef. It's not that. It's not that he did something bad and came into your town and endangered you. He's endangering you by being there. The authorities have said, we're going to kill you all unless you give us this guy to kill. And that means that he, you know, he is now... So, so, so um, you, you get this notion in, in just war ethics uh, of, of certain types of collateral damage. If, if, um, if, a per, if, if the enemy uses a human shield... Right, uh, and the human shield is blocking a launching pad of a rocket that's going to cause devastation to your civilians. So there's one human shield tied to it. One way to go is to say this is very tragic, but against this person's will, they have been transformed into a rodef because in, unless we kill them, uh, because they're tied to the uh, launch pad, unless we kill them, we're all going to die. And that's the situation where Yochanan might think that these people are in once a name has been given. Yeah, Maybe it would have something to do with how I saw myself as related to that person. Let's imagine that in this case they've taken one of my children, and if the family does not agree to surrender in, in, this child, to kill this child who's tied to whatever it is, the entire family would be killed. I would find that a very difficult situation to say, well, if they turn my daughter into a rodave, and so therefore I'm. Um, I don't see a happy ending that can be justified in any case. Don't say yeah, I, I, right, yeah, my, my problem with that, because that occurred to me also yeah. when I was looking at this yeah. text. I mean, I think, I think you know, we're <laughs> we who are versed in this you know, tend to go for those categories. Yeah. To me, that's a bit of an easy way out. Yeah. Um, that's why I suggested I, I, I understand. Yeah. As soon as you characterize the mode, if you are... Um, you're getting your well, not quite getting rid of, but at least um, uh, you know, significantly um, attenuating the the problematic nature mm-hmm. of this. Um, whether or not, in any event, one can characterize them as a rodef on technical grounds is a separate question. Mm-hmm. But I, to me, that's that's a little too that's a little too easy, even for the task to say that that the counterfeiter is a rodef. To my mind, is, is is pushing it a bit. But there, at least, the person did something and did something wrong, and is really in, you know through that person's action Actively, in in yeah. danger. And you hear, uh, you know, I, to me, to me, it's a bit of a too easy a way out. Um, I, I, I have another I, I have another take, which I would suggest, and it's not an easy take to defend that the issue at stake is we are often called upon or feel ourselves called upon to do something that's wrong but is necessary. And then in other words, we only have a fixed number of options and those options, all of them are wrong options. It's the only question is we feel it's necessary to do something. So if I am being called upon, I don't really want to surrender this person. 
but I feel that it's necessary. There's a felt sense of necessity to do so. And if I can also argue, by the way, this person really might have done something that I think they. I'm going to take away your ability to say they might have because they, okay, that's why I wouldn't vote. No, you're, you're trying to make it. They easy. did do. They no, did. View number they one. No view. So I'm, that, that I'm just looking at the first view. I could say that. The first, first view, view is that. it's Rachel Lucky's view. No, I'm saying Rachel Lucky's view first. Okay, that's fine. That I can say to myself. It's not something that I want to do, but I feel that it's necessary, and that's, those are the criteria for when you give in to necessity. Mm -hmm. Then you say, well, would you be willing to give in if it just simply threatened the life of everybody, independent of what this person actually done? Can you give in to the? Can you say it's necessary because otherwise we're all going to die? And you might say, then his view is could be yes. I mean, the yeah, but you have to, but you have to be able to explain. Neither of them is justifiable. Right, but you have to be. Well, the first one might be, but you have to at least according to the talk. But but you have to be able to explain, because what you just said would be true as well, even if they didn't specify. But you have to be able to explain why, according to Rabbi Yochanan, the very fact of specification, even if we know the person is completely innocent, the very act of specification allows you to hand the person over. Now, one way to understand that is simply that if they didn't specify, you simply can't put yourself in the position of, of playing God. Who which is how I do understand. That's exactly how I understand it. That's exactly but how I then, let's say, they didn't specify. Maybe you're not going to play God. Maybe you draw straws. In other words, if really the problem is that you can't be the one to choose, then there's other ways to allow the choosing to be done that might not involve them specifying. Yeah, but you see, you might you might think that um, anything short of them specifying is really you choosing, because you chose to draw lots, you chose to you know uh, we had a balloon debate <laughs> or whatever it is you know, and we voted. You know these where where yeah yeah where it doesn't matter if you don't. But um um. Anything short of the enemy specifying themselves is you making a choice. Um, once they make a choice, the status of this person has changed. Now, I recognise that Rodef is kind of an easy way to go because it's just borrowing a halachic category, a legal category that we're all familiar with. Well, no, it's because it, it, where there is no fault, it imputes fault. Yes, I understand. That's now, why I thought it was... That's exactly why I objected to it. Okay, but we, but we have the notion of, of um, a passive... Um, threat, not just uh, in, in these just war instances I was talking about, but in Jewish law too, uh, the case of, of, the, of the fetus right. uh, um, um, going to cause imminent death to the, the pregnant woman. To which, once the fetus... Once the fetus has come out, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about there is a state in which we invoke Rodef, the, the, the word Rodef is used, and that's the Mayim Reed Road for the no, They're chasing him from heaven. To justify... No. You're, you're all messing this up. Okay. okay. The, the, word, okay. the word Rodef is, justi- is used to justify the abortion of this fetus in vitro. Once the head comes the out... The Rambam says he's like a Rodef. a Rodef, and the Rambam makes it clear, as the in line with the Gemara, that once the fetus reaches the sure, point where the, the fetus is considered a, 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 a full life, right, it is considered... From the heavens or natural yeah. event, however yeah. you might want to say yeah. that, and 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 therefore he can't uh, be considered a rodif. And there, one could certainly argue that yeah, we're going off. Uh, we're going off. Okay. No, so no, let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Back. No, no, wait, wait, so back up. No, but the thing is, I think it's important to say that 
a passive aggressor is a real ethical category just like we have with this case of, of the human shield in wartime it's something we recognize from our ethical lives but I think the fact that before the head of this baby comes out of the birth canal while it's in vitro the fact that it's, it, it's considered like a Rodeth is interesting here because there's a sense in which it's not like a Rodeth because it didn't do anything wrong there's a sense in which it's like a Rodeth because it is creating an imminent threat to innocent life and, and, and I'm going to argue that using the term passive aggressor, let's say mm. in the case of, 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 of the war scenario that you described, too, is an easy out. I would what prefer. Well, I, 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 I would prefer saying. I, I, I think I think it I think it calls out the ethical issues more clearly and leaves them as muddy as they actually are, um, saying that this person who's being used as a human shield um, is under no fault whatsoever and yet we make the decision in war what I have difficulty with is that by allowing ourselves to say they're a passive aggressor we're allowing ourselves to import a category which justifies um, let, 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 let me give you an example of Simon, that's the key here the yes. key is what our position is you do not want to end up justifying this. You may do it anyway. You may feel a necessity for doing it, but you are not going to say that it's some other good to do this. In other words, right? I think what we're getting at is is is, is actually a distinction that comes up in in other areas of of, of halachic discourse. For example, a, a situation where um, you are uh, permitted and in fact obligated to violate Shabbat in order to save a life, uh, and there's there's two different uh, concepts, two alternative concepts that come into play here. So one is the possibility that Shabbat is hutra, which means um, that this particular act becomes actually permitted on Shabbat. Okay, so according to that conception, Sam, if you do this act on Shabbat, an act which is ordinarily forbidden, you do this act in order to save a life, I interview you after Shabbat and I say, Sam, did you save the child? Did you save the person's life? And you say, yeah. And I say, did you violate Shabbat? I say no, because it was it was hutra. You, you say no, and everything's wonderful. You didn't violate Shabbat, and you saved the child. I but mean, I did, I did something which would normally which ordinarily normal. would be forbidden on Shabbat, but that Shabbat was in that particular situation was not forbidden on Shabbat. Mm. So that's very clean. But the alternative is to say that Shabbat was not hutra, but that Shabbat was dechuya. In other words, that it was kind of pushed aside by this over arching imperative. So you do this particular act on Shabbat, which is ordinarily forbidden, and in fact that act is still, that prohibition is still in effect, and yet you violate it in order to save the child. And after Shabbat I say, Sam, did you do the right thing? And you say? Yeah, uh, yes I did the right thing, but I did break Shabbos. Right. So I say, Sam, did you do the right thing? You say, absolutely. Are you sure? A hundred percent. Did you ask your rabbi? He said, I'd be a fool to ask my rabbi. Yerushalmi says, if people ask their rabbis about things like that, then the rabbis have failed. You need to know that the right thing to do is to violate Shabbat to save that person. So you say, yes, 100% sure I did the right thing. And then I say, Sam, did you violate Shabbat? And you say, yeah. yeah. In other words, this concept, instead of sort of making it all clean, right? Yeah. You saved the person and you didn't violate Shabbat. So I think I've been misunderstood and misrepresented. Okay, well <laughs> 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 
says right you did the right thing and at the same time you violate Shabbat and though there's the, the, this notion keeps keeps in play right both the fact that there's actually a prohibition in place and the fact that there's something you have to do here and you're suggesting right. that the language of the passive aggressor makes it clean like the Hutra case says this is completely okay and, and, it, and it masks the moral complexity and the fact that what you did wasn't great I, I think mean, it attenuates the moral okay. complexity however I think that's I think that's a gross misrepresentation of my view I mean so, so I know this was your yeah, view yeah, yeah, no, 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 because, no, in my <laughs> view Go ahead, then I want to add to something to this my, my, my view in general is that these things are dechuyah Right, which is to say pushed aside and they don't disappear. I say that in general, the moral life is one of real moral dilemmas, real ethical dilemmas, in which there's often not uh, um, a completely ethically perfect way to go. There's just, you know, a minefield that you have to navigate and, and uh, to use language that Svi doesn't like, but in, but, but, but in a way that I think he'll appreciate, you sometimes have to get your hands dirty, so to speak, because you do the best thing that, that you can do, but it involves breaking some norms sometimes, because you have to. I'm fine with that. I think even in the Rodef case, the normal Rodef case, the 100% legitimate Rodef case, a person is running after you with a gun and you shoot them, you still kill the person. So you are in exactly the same right? So I think that's still bad. Now, if I think that even in the active Rodef case, the active aggressor case, you've done something bad by annihilating them, even though you really had to, how much more so am I going to say that in the passive aggressor case, the Kurodef, like a Rodef, the, the language that Maimonides uses against about this fetus, you're doing something, you're doing something morally. Um, Murky. Murky, even if it's what you have to do, even if it's obligatory. Oh, I don't so I don't see what you see in using then this why language do you think of a people passive bring aggressor. In the concept of passive aggressor instead of saying Because I, I think I've got a very good reason for using it. Because the idea is that in a war uh, we recognise there is going to be collateral damage. Sometimes we're going to have to end up killing people, all things being equal, that didn't do anything wrong, they don't mm -hmm. deserve to die. Mm -hmm. However, it's not that anything's game in a war. And therefore, what we have to do is come up with categorizations of different types of collateral damage, some that we will regrettably allow ourselves even... So, so the idea is, um, even before the operation, you know this person's going to die, and you say, OK, we're going to have to do it anyway. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you, you know, it's an accident or whatever, but sometimes mm -hmm. you know beforehand. The, the notion of a passive aggressor is useful for planning an attack where to make a difference between different types of collateral damage. But if it's being used by an ethical thing to say, oh, and therefore it's fine, it's great, it's cool, it's great, it's okay, it's just passive aggressor. No, that's terrible. That would be a terrible thing but, to do. But, and that's, but, not how, that's not how my ethics works now. So when I look at this text we have in front of us, and we're talking about why does Rabbi Yochanan say that as soon as the person's name has been called, what jumps out to me is Rodef, and you're right to say that in a sense it's easy, but I would say something more like K-Rodef, it's like a Rodef, and I would also say that even the Rodef case isn't easy. There's no such thing as an ethically easy case when we're dealing with killing somebody. I, I'm still... I mean, I'm not happy with the language of passive-aggressive because it seems to impute, does impute a certain kind of responsibility to that person that I think they don't have. They're passive. So but it's no responsibility. I, I'm telling you, I think the word aggressor, okay, I mean, I'm, it's not just that I'm a psychologist and the word being passive-aggressive. <laughs> <I mean, laughs> 
Okay. It, it is designed right, it, it, to, to, pull, to mitigate. If it were my child, that's what it's designed. No, that's why. Wait, uh, that's why. Wait, no, that's why I gave you the example. Of if this, if this person we were discussing was my daughter, I would have a very hard time using the word she's an aggressor. But I would say there, are, there are. I think I like the verbs, the modal verbs. Had to do this. I'm stressing the point. There are cases in which it's necessary to do something. And say to yourself, "I will do this, and I will feel terrible afterwards." Yeah. Maybe I'll never. Maybe it's like Sophie's choice. I will never sleep a decent life mm -hmm. a night as long as I live. I think you should but feel that way, even in the case of the raw death. Obviously, it's less I'm bad. Not, I'm not disagreeing with you. I think you. Sh I think you should also feel that way. With you killed the person. The you did something, that, and I would even say, if you look, take very seriously the Gemara's expression of, of. Ritzicha um, de mitzvah, uh, the real murder, he uses the word for murdering with respect to the infliction of the death penalty, which you were obligated to do so. Mm -hmm. it, you still feel like a murderer doing it anyway. Mm -hmm. So I don't disagree with your with your notion. What I like about about insisting that it's a necessity question. The downside of necessity is that it's very hard to construct a decent theory that can't be used to justify whatever you feel like. Okay. The upside of it is that when you're left, you're left with nothing but miserable feelings about having done something that you had to do but that you didn't want to do. The same. That's exactly how I would feel in the case of you've named a person. Okay, I really have to turn this person over, or they're going to kill all of us, including I, that person. Including that person, mm -hmm. I'm going to turn him over. It's something that I have to do. But I, if you say to me, is it the right thing? I'm not even trying to go as far as to say it's the, it's the necessary thing to do, and I'm going to feel terrible the rest of my mm. life for having done that. Mm. And since I frame it that way, okay, it makes it less likely that I will rush to do it just because I, I'm, I got nervous or frightened. It means that under some conditions, I will say it's not necessary, I'm going to die. Mm -hmm. There are cases like that. Yeah, what's, 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 there's, there's sort of two different ways, I, two different directions I'd like to go here. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll raise them both, and, and, and we can see which, which way we want to take this. But one is to raise the question, uh, and by the way, I would say you did do the right thing, and still, right, which is why I went to Shabbat. I, I, think, I think that one can, can say, did you do the right thing? Yes. It felt terrible. Did this no. Not just felt. I'm not so into the feelings here. That's where we, did, no, that's <laughs> where we disagreed. Right, no, I know that. You're I don't say that. I said you, you did what you had to do. I think you, see, and I would say beyond that. I would say you did, the right, so. I would say you did the right no. thing. And I would also say that there is no uh, justification in terms of that particular person as to why that person should have died, and that's why I resist. You know, but the, there was. The, the no, okay. But there was even for you because if they weren't, if their name hadn't been know. selected, that's, you wouldn't do. That's it. why you. That's why. So that's a justification. No, but it's not justification in terms of anything about that person. That's but it's a justification in that you didn't choose someone else. Why did you choose that person and not someone else? I didn't because their name was given. Right, because I did. Right, so that I right. think, right, the, so the fact that they designate means you didn't choose. Okay, them. but a status fell over them, and you are using as a justification of what you did, as a justification of what you're doing. I understand. I'm simply saying not just in relation okay. to that. Okay. To anything you're that characterizes that. Fine, person. but you're using, in to justify what you did, you're using the fact that that person and no other was designated. Yeah, but that's not because necessary because for me. No, I understand. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not justified. Because, but in, just war, in, in just war theory, what happens is, well, you can't just kill any, any enemy civilian, uh, but the fact that this one was tied to the uh, um, rocket launcher 
is is what justifies. It's terrible, yeah, and, 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 and 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 I'm, you know, and I'm going to have to sleep this night's rest of my life. And it, but it's and, what and and I would argue that that's a bit of a of a smokescreen. That in fact, what we're doing is something quite different, both in that case and in this case. Which is l- l- let's get back to the original case. Right? Right. If they don't designate anybody. You can't hand anybody over, even if everybody, including mm-hmm. that person, is going to get killed. Now, one right. could argue that there's something very noble about not handing somebody over, and also, and also, that there's something very ethically dubious about not handing anybody over, because in fact, everybody's going to get killed. Of course, we agree, right? That if it's hand this person over, or I'll kill the rest of the 99 of you, but I won't kill that person, that you can't hand somebody over. But if, that pr- if everybody's going to get killed anyway, why not hand somebody over? Why does simply designating the person make a difference? Now, you want to argue that designating the person makes a difference. The only way you can explain that is that designating that person actually changes that person's status in the sense that it, it kind of imputes that person, uh, not with a guilt that that person mm. actually has, but in a kind of imputed guilt, right? Uh, right, which I is why I wouldn't really use the word guilt. Well, it's just it's you, just you've now defined it as a status. A past of a, well, but it's it's a status I, I that so doesn't impugn them in any way. So I, 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 I understand, but and, and I'm going to argue that what if you don't use passive aggressor at all? What if you simply say that the reason you can't hand somebody over if the person's not designated is because at the end of the day, of course, right, we would rather that you save. 99 people at the expense of one when that one would have gotten killed anyway. Okay? We actually would prefer that that happened, but we can't let you play God. I do want to simply recognize and you know, give, give voice to the fact that this text, which is you know, very, very theoretical, um, has been at different points in time uh, an extremely practical, sadly, mm. an extremely practical text. We had this, of course, throughout the Shoah. Right, uh, where this happened constantly, where um, the, the, the leaders of the, in the ghetto or the Udenrat, the this was the whole or, 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 or whatever, mm-hmm. was, those was who given, ran you know, you need to produce 20,000 names mm-hmm. tomorrow. Um, and, and this was, you know, this is exactly the kind of issue um, that comes up. And I think that when we think about that, um, you know, the, the, the question of, you know, it, it's sort of one thing to say, you know, within a text, oh, nobody gets handed over, let them all die. Mm-hmm. Um, and another thing to imagine oneself um, in these, you know, very horrific and very real uh, circumstances where to not hand somebody over and to not make the choice, right, to not be willing to make that choice uh, means that perhaps but everybody will die. Since you raised it, okay, and I want to come back to a theme that I mentioned in the last session, which is this debate. And remember that the, the 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 general position was that the Judenraten made a mistake, it made a moral error in doing. I don't know whether they did or didn't. What I do know is, by the 60s, already on the list of means, or 70s, by the, the already on the list of means of spiritual resistance to the Nazis, was the refusal of Jews to hand over anybody. You want to, you're going to kill us all anyway. That's too bad. We're not going to go along with this this kind of a this kind of a game. We refuse to play that kind of a game. But you know, in in, in uh reflecting upon the, the previous podcast about what's required of normal people and what's required of the pious right. we had the Mishnah which is what's required of normal people and the Mishnah what's required of pious people it's clear from the sources that if you were God forbid in such a situation you were told to give a list of 20,000 names otherwise everyone's going to die it's clear that if you chose the names yourself from these texts it seems that if you chose the names yourself you're certainly not doing Mishnah Hasidim, you're not even doing the Mishnah. Correct. And yet, right. and yet, 
I'm just, who, I, I was yeah, just raising up that's the right. yet. No, and, yet, yet that's the and, yet. Yet, and yet who can sit in judgment of those people right? they, they were trying to save lives and they were in a horrific situation that any of us should, should ever know from such a thing but um, that leads you to think well maybe there are levels that are not Mishnah and they're not, and they're not a Mishnah they're also not Mishnah but which we, we really can't criticise we're really not in a position right. to criticise Right, especially in what I take to be extreme grand situations, these kind of yeah. limit situations. Yeah. I want to end with um, how the how the Rambam, how Maimonides codifies this. Um, it's actually it's actually quite interesting. He um, describes the situation um, that the Yerushalmi brings, and then interestingly, uh, with the dispute between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish, and ordinarily uh, we would uh, rule according to. Uh, Rabbi Yochanan, who holds that even if they simply designate the person and he's not Chayav um, Mita, you can hand him over. Well, and why is that? We would not because of his seniority. Or, or, or narrowly disputes between Rabbi Yochanan right. and Rabbi Lakish, we would go to Rabbi Yochanan. Interestingly, right. the Rambam doesn't. The Rambam says, "Im Hayam Chayav Mita Kesheva Ben Bichri Itnuotolahem." And if he is Chayav uh, Mita like Sheva Ben Bichri, then you hand the person over. So he takes the more stringent position, mm-hmm. and then he continues. But you don't instruct people this uh, at the start. And so this is uh, becomes for the Rambam an example of halacha ve'ain morin kain. Right? He's this sympathetic is, to my concern. <laughs> this is the law, but you don't you, you don't, don't instruct them. people mm-hmm. that. And uh, there's different ways to different ways to understand that. But one of the ways I I um, I think halacha ve'ain morin kain, right, the law that you don't instruct, is is used. Um, is not so much because we're worried that people are going to end up doing the wrong thing, but that halachave in morin came, not not instructing, um, is a category that's used, I think, at times to um, to raise up the the complexity of the situation. That to instruct in the halacha suggests that there's a black and white answer to it, and to say we can't instruct in this halacha or we oughtn't to instruct in this halacha does not mean that people shouldn't make that people don't have to make decisions, but rather that we have to always hold up. Um, the complexity of the situation and the very individual aspects of each and every situation which you can't simply rule upon uh, mm-hmm. to start with that we have to leave it to people to um, to to accept upon themselves and, and, and to take seriously all of the different complexities of each and every case and to make uh, what in a very uh, difficult and tragic situation um, is the best possible decision that they can make. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Drisha Vichakira, the Drisha Chavruta podcast. To download more of our podcasts and shiurim, subscribe to our iTunes channel or go to www.drisha.org for more online and in-person learning opportunities. Drisha, deep learning, committed lives.